At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal Awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete! Bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay. That's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring In The Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. I almost forgot to introduce you as the co-host. I thought you were the host of all your shows. That's, I gave him a script when we first started, and it, 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 that's just what he says every time. Friend so. co-host, Ryan Ray. Yeah. That's what he says. So, Just like on this one, say, welcome to another edition of Bring In The Closers. Ryan Ray alongside Ben Samuels, the co-host of this show. Ben, how's it going? It's going fantastic. I'm loving life today. I'm about to be in Houston for a couple of weeks, but uh, I'm in Midland today and some new digs in my office and uh, looking to put some deals together. What about you? Yeah, it looks like your office is mahogany. It looks like well, that door's mahogany in the background there. Uh, that desk is probably cedar straight from New Zealand. Um, I'm guessing probably thirty oh, to 40,000 square feet. No, it came from one tree. It was cut down by the pygmies. Don't you know this story? I mean, it, it was actually, it used, be, it used to be in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, but now I have it. Wow, you've read the book. Impressive. I didn't know you could read. That's good to know. Um, so, Ben, where are we going today? Because, you know, a little inside baseball here. You have one job, and your job is to send me topics before the show. You didn't do that. So, I'm just kind of, you know, carrying the way of the world on my shoulders as always. So, where are we going? No, I'm still- I'm throwing you a curveball today like you like to throw me. I mean, generally on a week-to-week basis, I, I ask you every once in a while if we can uh, talk about a podcast beforehand, and I uh, I always get the word no. And so I decided I was going to throw you some curveballs this time. <laughs> Don't let the facts. Don't let the facts. Don't let the facts. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mr. No Facts. Not to let the facts. In case the listeners haven't figured that out yet, that's uh, mm-hmm. I actually might advocate for a change in, in, uh, in title for our podcast, but that's a conversation for another time, I suppose. <laughs> um, one of the, no, one of the things that I thought would be interesting uh, to talk about and kind of pick your brain about it a little bit, and we can talk about, you know, kind of back and forth is just overall, you know, social media strategy when it comes to business development. And, and, you know, you and I obviously see that dynamic, I think, very differently. We've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but I've talked about something that I'm going to be working on more robustly for something that you and I are working on offline is kind of quote unquote networking in the dark and, and trying to find ways to you know, be effective uh, behind the scenes and, and operate, uh, you know, in a quiet manner, but but still being effective. Um, and, and you, uh, you know, through, whether through R Squared or, or the podcast, you certainly have a much more an intentional public persona and, and public outreach. And so I just want, I thought it would be interesting to kind of give a peek behind the curtain on on some ways to kind of tackle both of those things. Um, so if you if you'd like to start, I'd love to kind of hear you kind of set the table on, you know, you're obviously, you know, you're involved with a number of committees and, and organizations that have international outreach and those things don't, you know, that nobody just found you on Google and decided to, to plug you in. So, you know, how, how have you been able to kind of fill out that, um, you know, that network and then uh, 
I know you and I, I know I've talked about LinkedIn, obviously, is a, is a main thrust for both of us. Uh, we've had conversations revolving around other medias um, like uh, like Facebook or Twitter, um, even TikTok. And so I just, I'm just kind of curious. Um, like I said, you have a much more out, outward bound reach. And so what uh, what are you thinking about when you're when you're thinking through the social media strategy of, of what you're looking at? What you're doing? Yeah. So for me, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I would delete every social media app I have immediately if I could. Like I, I really would. I don't say that. It's a necessary evil. Can't do it. It's a necessary evil. It, it's a, it is a necessary evil. And some people say like I, I would like to have the functionality of that that Twitter gives me to to see the news and some stuff you can give on Twitter. I do like some of that those, those functionalities, but but generally speaking, the rest of it I don't I don't I don't find. Um, most of what's on there is just kind of like okay, you know, it's a distraction or um, I waste time on it or, or you know, I I, I don't want to spend the time. I don't want to spend the time to be good at it. Like I don't want to figure out photography to be you know putting up good Instagram pictures. It's just not of interest to me. What's interesting to me is um, you know conversating with people, talking to people, you know, having long form discussions and things like that. And podcasts is kind of the best way, at least right now, to to do that. So. Um, I, I know it's not social media direct, related, but that's kind of the best form. If I was a better writer or something, I might spend more time on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is, is a, is a great, great, great tool. Um, I'm just, it's not. How many, how many episodes deep are you on Texas oil and gas podcast? 140 recorded today. So about, about three years. Am I doing my math? Yeah. Right March, there? March, Texas independence day is kind of our rough, roughly when we started. So that's kind of more or less when, so we'll have three years here pretty soon. Yeah. So if you say I did the Global Energy Leaders podcast at 100 and 101 or something like that on that, 140 on Texas Oil and Gas podcast. Uh, how many is on Energy Week? 80? 93. Almost, yeah, so 93, almost 100 there. Uh, we've got 20, 30, how many here? Uh, this one is 24. So, we're so over 400, but then I've got some other shows that I've, I've taken off the internet that were more kind of just fun things to talk about that were around. So I've 450 to 500 podcasts I've probably recorded, uh, in my life. And I, and I found those are the, that's the most effective way for me to get out there because a couple things. One, I can bring on people who are a lot smarter about things to talk about something that they understand that, that if I pick up the phone, they just probably wouldn't answer a phone call. Um, and so I get to learn from them from that way. Um, two, I, I don't think I have a lot of interesting things to say on a regular basis on my own, prov- unprovoked. Um, so I like to, I like to have, I like to engage in conversation and, and stuff like that. So I, I really struggle on the deployment of social media and even like with Twitter, which I think is a really good tool. Um, it's like, okay, do I want to be snarky on Twitter? Do I want to spend the time to put out the, the, the research, the data. So I, that's really my struggle with social media. You're actually far better at the true social media aspect of it than I am. You know, it's interesting that you bring up Twitter because, you know, so I see Twitter as a valuable tool, but only in a very narrow focus. And what I mean by that is, so I have one Twitter account that I, I don't even think, um, I think I'm following maybe 20 accounts at most. And it's basically an account that I can log on to just to get a digest of of some of the news and kind of what's happening from a very, very, very uh, slim uh, segment of people that I've vetted and want to hear from. 
Um, in addition, though, it's, it's interesting for anybody listening uh, that, that's in the energy finance space. I don't know if you've ever gone like on a deep dive in Twitter into the, uh, in the, into the energy fintech or energy finance, uh, there, there's a lot of a lot of these parity accounts. Do you have any, have you seen these before? Yeah, a couple of them. Not, not so probably as much you have. Parity accounts that that you know a lot of them are actually, I mean, you know, purported to be or probably are you know, C-suite level guys at companies, but they're under this alias to kind of talk yeah. about some things. And some of those conversations are, are pretty interesting. Um, and that's not an outbound marketing research that thing. That's just something that I like to kind of keep keep plugged in. But I mean, to, to your point, yeah, I think you know you and I both would would echo that LinkedIn is by far the most effective social media platform. Now, podcasts, I'm, I'm talking about in a different context, sure. but in terms of the social media platform, I think that LinkedIn is certainly the most effective in, in being able to kind of cut down the noise um, and put you put you in the right rooms. The only push, um, only, only pushback I'll, I'll tell you that is, so what, what for Twitter, I have met probably more people that are in unique rooms for Twitter than on LinkedIn, because LinkedIn's, LinkedIn's kind of got a built-in firewall if you're not connected. Whereas Twitter, if you just start searching hashtags or names or titles, you can get in front of folks. Not I mean they respond, but you can get in front of them actually directly, um, pretty easy. Whereas LinkedIn's a little bit, a little bit tougher. You got to find a post that they're commenting on or or send them an email or stuff like that. So Twitter, you can kind of slide in there a little bit easier. Um, and so I found that like Ellen Wall, <laughs> David Blackman. Um, I probably sit here and start naming off Anas. Um, I start naming off a lot of people that I've met. I've actually met those on Twitter, um, and those are just people I probably would have never talked to otherwise. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think um, while that's certainly valid, I guess the, the reason that I uh, said it that way in terms of LinkedIn is because, you know, there's – if I go on to Ryan Ray's profile, I know that I'm talking to Ryan Ray yeah, as opposed right, right, to anybody right, can make a Twitter account, sure. right? And, and also the, I think the connections sometimes are a lot looser. And so, yeah, having an outbound reach and, and kind of connecting on Twitter but then moving, maybe moving the conversation over yeah. to LinkedIn – um, but, but I mean, to that point, you know, so I used to be intimately familiar and a lot more plugged in into like fantasy football. And I used to actually run a couple of fantasy football podcasts, you know, 99.5% of all the contacts I made in that entire world, in that entire universe were all on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think we're talking about, you know, in our world, in our business, mm-hmm. there's, there's more of the LinkedIn focus, but I mean, yeah, yeah depending on what market you're in, um, you know, that being said, especially for, for those listening that are in more kind of quote unquote traditional sales roles and those kind of things. Uh, you know, Twitter could be an invaluable resource for that outbound research and you know, outbound uh, marketing and and, uh, um, and reach. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. The other thing I would think is is to consider when I get on Twitter. If you search the hashtag OOTT, that's kind of the old traders tag on Twitter. If you start reading a lot of that stuff, I'm not saying it's not good, but it's just really not valuable. I would think for probably us or most of our sure. listeners. Uh, it's good stuff. It's interesting stuff. But it's really not, but it helps you understand when you go read Bloomberg or Reuters or AP. They're really writing for that demographic. They're not writing for us. And so, a lot of the way the news is presented is to appeal to that crowd, not necessarily that crowd on Twitter, but those type of people that are on Twitter because the traders are putting in a lot of money. They're buying the Bloomberg terminals and they're doing all this stuff. So it kind of helps you understand that. Well, that's why the news. And I don't know if to talk about it on here, but a few weeks ago on the Text One Guest podcast, I kind of made fun of the news because you know Chevron wrote down ten billion dollars, but they're increasing their capex for the Permian by four hundred million. Well, no one talked about that. No one talked about that. 
And so it's like, well, hey. Yeah, I think we did mention on the okay. podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. Right. So that would be a good example of if you're a trader, you're going to talk about it. But for guys like us, like, oh, wait, they're, they're increasing the capex of 400 million in the Permian. Whoa, what's going on here? That's something we want to know about. And so it does, it does give you a different perspective on at least our industry, which is so vast, that these people think about these things and this is what's important to them. And, huh, I never would have thought that was important. Like, I don't even understand why this, some, some of the things I talk about, I still don't understand why they're important. I don't, even, I don't think some of them are important. Things are important, or they're. Uh, but I'm not saying I'm right. It's just it's hard for me to even conceptualize um, some of the things they're talking about. They probably feel the same way about some of the things I would say. So, it, but on LinkedIn, you're probably going to get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more um, kind of um, your peers, if you will. Whereas Twitter, you can kind of get a, uh, you can kind of segment it out by by uh, demographic of the of the uh, of the space. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So th- this is not necessarily germane to anything we're talking about right now, but but for some reason, what you just said, uh, you know, uh, ping this in my mind. Did you happen to read that? I think it was as uh, I think it was Friday um, that because of apparently because of the uh, the uh, that virus is uh, you know having an outbreak in China that the uh, that intraday Netflix went up like six percent under the thesis that people are going to start watching a lot more Netflix because they can't go anywhere. Did you read about this? No, I didn't. That, I guess, do they, is that in China? Do they have Netflix in China? I don't think they do. That's they here? Do. Yeah, it, it, was the, it was the biggest one-day bump in Netflix history since IPO, and huh. it, was directly, it was directly tied to there was a, a massive influx of Pacific, uh, Pacific Asian um, you know, account creation and, and whatever, in, increase in watching. I thought that was – pretty interesting yeah uh, like I no, said, that's I neither here nor there um but okay so so coming back for a second so yeah. you know like we mentioned um your podcast is, is certainly what you find to be or seems to be the, the most effective um and, and something you've you know you've obviously become uh very well versed at how many podcasts right now do you record weekly is it four three Oh yeah, so okay. I didn't count the old guys contractor connects those numbers earlier there's 30 of them so yeah yeah so i have yeah three uh we had four but three yeah Getting ready to add a new one, though. Working on it. Details will come soon. Dun, dun, dun. Teaser. <laughs> you heard it here first. Folks. You're just going to throw that out there and leave us hanging, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah. how we roll. Uh, fair, fair enough. Fair it, enough. it might be a while before that one comes out. So I might actually have one start before that one actually comes out. That one is being so, planned on, though. So um, so let, let's take a peek behind the curtain of like the celebrity that is Ryan Ray. Um, <laughs> so... You know, I've been fortunate enough to be along with at, uh, at some conferences with you, and, and you know, there's like there just seems to be this entourage that just like follows you, and just, you know, wants to be like part of the aura, just wants to kind of like you know be close to the greatness. Um, you know, how, how, do you, how do you kind of find that, uh, that you're able to kind of navigate that? And, and I because I know that you take you know you've told me offline that uh, you know when, when a listener reach out, reaches out to you, you make sure to you know want to uh, you know be available and engage. Uh, and so kind of, I guess, give us a peek behind the curtain on kind of how that engagement and how that podcast uh, outreach has been able to really actually help your business. Yeah. So I have a general rule about information that I use anywhere. And it, I've just kind of applied that principle to the podcast at some level. So um, I think I've talked about on the show before, but if I'm in a client's office, and especially the bigger oil and gas companies, this is really, really easy sales tactic for you. You go speak to Ben and Ben's like, yeah, well, you know, uh, we're going to take and we're looking at doing a 300-mile job later this year and da-da-da. like, oh, okay, cool. And I go over to Tom's cubicle, which is like across the aisle. Hey, Tom, how's it going? Good. What's up with this 300-mile job? What a 300-mile job? Well, the one from here to here. I don't know nothing about that. I'm working on a so-and-so. Oh, okay. And then I walk out and, hey, what's going on with the so-and-so? Oh, what are you talking about? Well, 
Well, you know, and, and what happens is, is when you have information to trade, people generally will like to trade information with you. Um, and so, when a podcast listener reached out, I, I'm genuinely, I'm genuinely thankful that they reached out because they're listening to the show. They're taking. I listen to all kinds of podcasts. I don't reach out to most of them, you know. And so, I know it's like uh, just to be a listener. And so, the fact that they stopped and took the time and sent a message that I want to, you know, uh, show my appreciation and try to interact with them the best I can and. I'm not going to say that none's uh, that, that everyone's always been caught, but I, I try to do my best to actually catch everyone that I can and talk to them and meet with them or have a phone conversation, whatever. Um, and what I found is you kind of have levels of podcast listeners. Some that just want to talk to you because they like your show and just just curious. Some that are looking no, maybe. And every, and every once in a while, every once in a while, you you invite somebody to a baseball game so you can extort them later, and it doesn't work out very well. But I mean, at least you try. That that that, that happens. Then uh, yeah, I was on a roll there, and you you just derailed me. But anyways. Um, the blood temperature is getting up here, but but uh, blood pressure. Anyways, um, the next thing is you have some folks who are wanting to maybe be on the show, or they're wanting to sponsor the show, or or just they're wanting to have their own show. They're curious, kind of what's what's how does it work, and you know behind the scenes type stuff. And then you have some folks who, because they've listened to you, they kind of understand where you're at in the industry and what you do, and they might have some kind of business proposal or or something like that. So I kind of go into each each meeting with the anticipation of I'm just thankful that they listen and be happy to sit there and chat with them and have coffee and hear about what they're what they're what what, uh, what's going on. The reality is, is just because it has nothing to do with the podcast listener per se, is I'm going to take stuff from that meeting and I'm going to go and I'm going to use it just like I would any other type of information. I'm not going to, I'm not going to betray their confidence or anything like that. But if they said, Hey, did you hear about such and such? And it's not a confidential deal then I'm going to take that information and I'm just going to use it. Not, it's just, it's just how I use information. It's just, if, again, if it's in confidence, then that's different, but just generally talk about stuff. And so what I found is the more conversations I can have, the more people I can talk to, um, you know, it's like, a you know, we were talking a few weeks ago about a about a deal I'm working off online that would it's a really long shot, but but to put it together would be pretty neat if it could happen. And it, I just happen to have the right network of people that could put that deal together. Well, that's because just I've just kind of traded information and I've heard what they have and what they do and what's going on and mentioned stuff. And so all of those conversations around that particular project have actually opened up other conversations that have nothing to do with that because I've traded that information. So I just try to just take information, just trade it and trade it and trade it and trade it. And that's really what I do. So if, if I could find LinkedIn, if I could do that with LinkedIn better or Twitter better or Instagram better, I am happy to take instruction on how to do that. I've just found it's really, it's hard for me to do it that way. Yeah. You know, I think, I think really what you keyed in on there and that I wanted to point out just uh, once more is that idea that it's a, it's a give and take, right? You're not just trying to glean information. I mean, you're sitting there with a lot of information, Trading. you're going to give the information back, and so that you know that opens a lot of doors because I think you know you probably see the same thing. A lot of times, you know, I have conversations with groups or with individuals that are really it's pretty obvious that they're just looking to take information as opposed to make it reciprocal, and that makes it more difficult to actually come to you know come together and and, and you know be be willing to be open and share information, right? Because you know I don't think anybody's in the business of giving a peek behind the curtain for free and, and, and it's not being reciprocated. Um, but, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, on the podcast, you know, for those of that are listening to this podcast and haven't gotten a chance to listen to Texas Oil and Gas podcast, I mean, th- those conversations, when you have guests on, it is it is very clear that they, you know, they've either been preloaded with, with you know, the, the instruction or, or they, you just, you guys just make sure to bring on guests that are willing and able to talk you know, in detail about things that may, you know, may not be, you know, May, in other forums may not be discussed. And, I, and that's, you know, that's really valuable because you know, one of the reasons I think that that podcast is, is so valuable is the dynamic of, you know, we're going to, we're going to break it down. Not, we're not just going to talk about the headline, but we're going to get like somebody in here that knows this and we're going to cut through, you know, cut through the bullshit 
excuse my French and, and, and talk, talk candidly. And I think that's, you know, that's so lacking out in the space. And to your point, so to your point about LinkedIn, I think one of the reasons you know that I'm able to be effective there is exactly that. I mean, I have no agenda. I have no ego in terms of wanting to withhold information. And so as an example, it, it didn't go very well, but this last week, uh, just on, I think it was a Monday of last week. I got, uh, I saw an, a, a text or a, a message, a post from someone asking for a connection to something. And I, and I happened to know like exactly who they needed to talk to. And, and I knew that if they got in front of that person, the deal would be super simple. And so I sent very first conversation, ha, had only connected with this individual, maybe like six weeks ago, sent them a message and said, Hey, I saw your post. Here's a guy you need to talk to. Here's his phone number. Here's, here's his email. Um, you know, I know that if you guys get a deal done, he'll take care of me. So you guys, you, know, you, you feel free to reach out to him and, and you tell me, uh, you know, uh, if there's anything you need from me or something like that. Um, and actually it wasn't last Monday, I guess it was two weeks ago. Uh, and so I, I, and I never got a response. I saw that he read the message, but never got a response. Um, talked to my contact and he, he had never reached out. And so I, I pinged the guy again. I just said, Hey, you just wanted to follow up, make sure that, that you know, that you got this. If you have any questions, let me know. And I got a pretty fire email response back of just basically like, you know, I, I saw your first message. It's not of interest. And it just kind of left me like with this, con- like this thought of like, okay, so then, you know, where was the breakdown in communication? But, but because of kind of how, uh, you know, the, the messaging went, I didn't feel like uh, reapproaching. And so I, I, that's like one example of, you know, the door kind of got closed before it was even opened. And I think that a lot of, a lot of times, and I think that some of it is, you know, born in the oil and gas space, but there's so many, I mean, I don't know how often, probably, you know, daily, just like myself, I don't know how often you get friended by, you know, these accounts that have like either like no profile picture, or it says like, oil trader out of Russia, you know, and not to, not to disparage any of, any of that, but I mean, there's some red flags of, of like, okay, this, you know, is there a legitimacy here? Um, but you're, you know, if you're in my network and we've already connected, you can kind of see the connections I have. If I take the time to send you basically like a, a gift wrap deal, it's kind of out, you know, it's kind of a little bit awkward or weird to get a response back of like, oh, that's not of any interest. Right. And so I think I, I, I was going somewhere actually first when I started talking, I, I kind of veered off left. Um, but, but being able to be transparent and open and knowing that like, so you, when you and I are talking about a deal, you know, at this point we have an understanding that if either one of us brings a deal to the other and we're able to work through it together, we're going to be, you know, basically splitting, you know, fees down the middle, down the middle. But there are other, you know, there are other people out there that are just looking to take what's theirs and, and, and cut out everybody else. And so you kind of have to navigate around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And that, so to your point, um, one of the things that I've I've tried to do with the pod, the global interest leaders would be kind of the exception in oil and gas contractors connect. Those two shows I, I played a little bit different role, but the other shows that I've been on, I've tried my best to kind of just be me. And, and, I, and I say that like the global interest leaders podcast, there are people come on with ideas that that I disagree with fundamentally, philosophically, but I didn't care. I just kind of let them come on, talk about their energy product, and and, and go about my business because my role was more of just hey, here, what do you got? How's it work? You know, or who are you? What are you doing? Stuff like that. Not not really trying to, to push back. You know, the Text on Guest podcast, you kind of see a little bit more of what I think about uh, maybe the, it's not a political show, but, you know, government or environmental concerns or, or things like that. And I try to uh, balance out, um, you know, for instance, if we're talking about an environmental spill, we say, you know, our, 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 just to kind of go off on a quick tangent, I'll say something like, well, this is this is bad, da-da-da. Here's what should happen. The first thing should happen is the landowner should be taken care of more than anyone else. So you know, whoever the landowner is the injured party, they should be taken care of. And then the, the oil and gas company, if it's their fault, they should take responsibility. And then in the same episode, we might make fun of environmentalists for how silly they are. 
But if you listen, if you're, if you're, if you're actually a careful listener, it's pretty clear that I'm not pro-damaging the environment. I'm actually saying that they should be held liable to a higher standard than, than uh, you know, maybe other people in the industry is. So that nuance, I think, for me, is hard to, to write out in a LinkedIn post. Like that's that's where I would find the struggle is to be able to say I want to be critical here I want to make sure I support here and I want to kind of weave that together not not, not that I'm a wordsmith on the podcast but at least I can kind of stumble through it with LinkedIn I start thinking about it like ah okay how do I not make a sixteen hundred word post <laughs> about something I can say in three sentences and that's and that's the hard part for me and the and the frustration for me about that because I mean and I think you and I have talked about this quite a bit offline but you know there's there's clearly like an art to writing these posts to get the, the, the right outreach, right? And there's a lot of people out there that seem, you know, candidly, the posts that they put out there are very generic and not actually very valuable, but they have these massive reaches just because they've hit the algorithm correctly. And one of the things that I get frustrated about is, is that. I mean, you know, I understand, you know, if the content is crappy, you know, repeatedly, you don't get a following. But, you know, this concept of I have to write the posts in like a certain sentence structure and a certain format and do this, that, and the other thing, even to like get a fighting chance is frustrating. And, and, and to your point about Twitter, you know, I don't think you see that nearly as much on Twitter, right? Because you, it's feed based and you're going to see what you're going to see. But on LinkedIn, I mean, there, there's a lot of posts that I candidly, I think are valuable, but totally get buried. And at the same time, there are a lot of posts that I put out there that, that, I, that I think are like, you know, not why am I doing this, but like this is like low hanging fruit, mm-hmm. and those are the ones that that catch fire. And and so I mean, do you, do you see the same thing? Yeah, I tell you who I think has done a good job, and uh, most listeners probably if all Dave Ramsey Wood. Uh, you know, he did a good job. You know, one of the things he did with his stuff is, and, I, and his stuff I don't read his stuff every day or even every week. I'm, but he created his own hashtag. And then he just pounded the hashtag every day, and then he responds to his commenters. And, he, and so he does a very—I don't know if he figured all that out and then went into it or kind of worked his way through it. I don't know at what point of uh, the process I found him. But he seemed to be the one who has almost—I don't say beat the algorithm, but has bent the wheel of the algorithm towards what he's doing. And so um, and I look at that, and I applaud it, and I go, wow, that's, that's really good. That's really impressive, um, you know, because he actually puts out— um, at least content that's not, hey, if you want to get out of bed today and be excited, then smile. You know, he's he's actually getting into some numbers and um, you know a little bit of um, analysis and stuff like that. So his stuff is you know at least has some substance to it, and he's got a good following. So he's kind of been the one that I've seen. Whereas the other posts that you see get consistent big uh, hits and returns is usually what I'd call kind of the, the fluff, go get them post and stuff like that, which I'm not reading a lot of that stuff. So. Do you, is there, I'm curious, is there anyone else besides him that you would say that's putting out s- more substantive type content on a regular basis that, that you see gets big, big returns on their post? Yeah, yeah so I, I'm, I'm bad with names. I'm going to try to do this quickly. Uh, there is one under, other individual uh, that, that I think puts out some, some really good content. Um, for, I'm blanking on his name at the moment. Maybe I can come back to it. But, uh, but there is one other. I think he it might be with, uh, with Shell Profile. Um, but he puts out a lot of in-depth analysis. Yeah. On, on, you know mm-hmm. who I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. I can't remember his name, but yeah, he's like the CEO or COO or or whatever. Yeah, I, and I apologize if, if he's a listener and, and he's listening to this, and we're both messing up here. But but you know, so there, there, but there's very few, right? There, there's there's not that many that are consistently you know putting out that kind of quality um, you know quality content. I think a lot of uh, a lot of it turns into uh, well. I tell you, I tell you, someone else who does good, and they do it different. I think is um, 
Let's see here if I can pull up the right number. Episode eight seventeen guest Ty Trevor. Uh, if you go look at his, he does. A, he is very good at uh, commenting on your post. Um, very good at. Um, okay, very good at. Um, you know, tagging you and stuff, or you know, sharing and stuff like that. He's very good. Now, I don't. The posts I see of his are more. They're not the go get them rah rah type stuff, but they're not Dave Ramsey Wood either. They're kind of they're they're different altogether. He's not he's more like asking questions, looking for help. Work, can you point me here, point me there, and that may maybe get back on, maybe strategic. But I'm saying he's so he's not in either of those two categories. He's doing something different, but he's very active. Right. So he's doing something where he seems to be very active on on your post and on your stuff, and so you, you the algorithm likes that, and so you start seeing his stuff naturally, and you're like, oh, well, he liked my post, I'm going to like his post. So he he's kind of a, a third category person I've seen that, um, I don't know how his posts do, but I see his stuff regularly, and I see him regularly because he engages with so much of my content. Thanks, by the way, Todd, for that. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, and no, absolutely, and, uh, you know, and I echo what Ryan said about about you, Todd. If you're if you're listening, uh, two two others that I, that I actually do want to point out that uh, that may not be as commonly known, especially not in the energy space. Um, someone that I followed for quite some time now is a guy named uh, Brian Delucia, D E L U C I A. He actually he runs a single family office out of New York, um, but but his pocket or his sorry his content and his posts are a lot uh, revolving around actually what we talked about, I think last week on the podcast about relationships and communication and, you know, how, how to be effective in your network and how to provide value without the expectation of, of reciprocation and, and, you know, how to find win-wins and all of those things. I mean, he posts consistently and, and about kind of the, and he has, you know, that's such a, that's a space that's so picked over in my, um, in my mind, but he comes at it from a very fresh perspective a lot of times. So I really appreciate that. And then also um, someone that I'm hoping to get on the podcast here in short order, uh, someone that I've been connected with for, for quite some time. Um, if you're not familiar or not connected with a guy named Dan Cassetta, it's C-A-S-E-T-T-A. Um, he was, or actually he may still be one of the best or one of the, um, one of the most successful division managers in Cutco Cutlery or Victor Marketing history. Uh, but he runs an office out of California, but he does a number of other uh, entrepreneurial ventures and it has been wildly successful. He has his own podcast uh, that I believe is called uh, Changing Lives with Knives or something like that. It's kind of a play on the Cutco. Um, but I've listened to that, uh, that podcast as well. So for some cross promotion, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to that one, that would be a fantastic resource as well. He, um, he, he comes at, uh, at these same similar issues in, in a very different perspective. And some of the guests that he have on, I mean, you, you talk about some heavy hitters. I mean, he, he has guests you know, at the ilk of like the Tony Robbins of the world sort of thing. And so that's something that I find out really valuable as well. He hasn't had me on though. He has not, you know, yeah, that's, that's true. But, you know, but once he does, it's going to be over. Like it's the game over. Oh just, I, yeah. It's like his, well, it's probably like his last episode. Like you've yeah, no, I mean, you, right. You don't want to yeah. go downhill. You just, when you, you, you just want, okay. Yeah, he wants you, to summit the mountain. You can't reach the apex too early. I mean, right. Right. Yeah. He wants to summit the mountain when he's ready to retire. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I can respect that. man. I can respect that. So Ben, I've got a, I've got a dilemma here for you that, um, Shift gears, if you will. And we should just start doing this show live on LinkedIn. Like, that makes sense. This show should be live on LinkedIn, I think. I, I concur. I don't know. Can, can Nate? Can Nate no, Nate can't. LinkedIn take note. Nate, Nate, Nate can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. here's our social media. We're going to start being live on LinkedIn. There Hook we go. us up with that Vidor Locksmith vibe, man. Yeah, is, there we go. Is Periscope still a thing? Should we get on Periscope, too? We can do Periscope, too. Me and my you know three followers on Twitter would love that. Um, so... 
question for you, sir. As you know, I'm, I'm looking to open a new business. Um, staying with R-Square Global, no, that's, none of that's changing. But I'm, I'm looking to, to launch a new business. Now, part of the continue. so at R-Square Global, we're lucky enough where, um, you know, we're not, um, you know, we're not looking for VC money or anything like that at this time. I mean, like a change, but we're, we're, we're a cash flowing positive business and been around for quite some time. Yada, yada. This will be a new startup. And um, so question for you. As someone who has opened a lot of unsuccessful businesses like yourself. <laughs> Sorry. Viewers of the video, if, if you're not seeing this, Ben is crazy. Cornerstone Building Brands Martinsburg plant is growing and so are our wages. We have immediate opportunities for positions including extrusion, maintenance technicians, pickers, packers, and forklift operators. Pay ranges between $15.50 to $25.30 per hour with a $1,000 bonus and benefits from day one. Text RADIO to 304-278-4149 to apply. That's RADIO to 304-278-4149. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Currently flipping off Ryan <laughs> with both hands. <laughs> Tell me what not to do. <laughs> well, first thing you do want to do is you want to talk to somebody that's failed multiple times. They can give you an idea. I'm starting here. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> so I think, I mean, at its core, I think one of the things that kills businesses is not, you know, the getting through the initial, oh, this sounds like a good idea and, and, and coming, coming to the, okay, so how am I actually going to put this in practice? Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to, you know, it's the granular stuff. Am I going to delegate all the tasks? Am I going to be running this? Do I need a You know, I'm going to delegate. These? You know, I'm going to do yeah. like that. And even, you know, that's going mean, to happen. How, you know, how, how much realistically, how much involvement do I have on a day-to-day basis? And, and one of the things, you know, that, that you and I, I think have talked about a couple of times um, is, and we talked, we touched on it on a podcast earlier in the series. Um, but there's this concept of, you know, you and I like to be very active and be doing a number of different things and kind of have a bunch of plates up in the air. Um, and, and I don't know if we really, you know, it's interesting because we had this conversation, but I don't know if I really understood or really agreed with kind of where we landed on this issue. So I'm going to bring it back up. Um, you know, there has to be this point, and to, and to your point about starting a new business, there has to be this point where, like, the plate is so full that it's not really practically possible to put something else on the plate. And one of the things that I've noticed at times in my career is, you know, so just as you know, just as an example, in January, I look at you know nine different deals, uh, you know, that, that are in the water transfer or in, in mineral space. And, 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 and I'm not talking about trading assets. I'm talking about like a company looking to raise money or something more substantive. And, and I look at these and, and I run some traps and I put it back in my network. And then you fast forward to like May. Okay. So out of those nine, you know, let's say we hit a home run and three of them are have legs. Okay. So do I really have the bandwidth and the ability to number one, be intricately involved in all three of those proposals and projects on an ongoing basis? Like I had kind of, you know, 
shown interest in originally, in addition to my existing deal flow that I already have, in addition to wanting to continue to drum up more business. And I feel like there have, there are times where you may spread yourself so thin that you kind of lose focus and lose the ability to really control the, the, the things that really move the needle. And what I mean by that is, you know, if, you, if so, if Ryan Ray has the ability to find, uh, whether it be a general contractor or a GM or you know, however you want to term, you know, uh, qualify the term. If you have someone that you know, or people listening, if you've got someone that you can completely just deputize a you know a business to, and say, hey, you know, when you when you need a check cut, come to me. If you need X Y Z at a, at a at a you know very high you know investor level, come to me. But other than that, I don't really want to hear much about any of the day to day. And this is your thing. If you have that, that makes it a lot more easily scalable, right? Because then you're you're just you're cutting payroll checks and, and you're kind of running oversight. But if, but if you're looking to, but if you don't have that implicit trust with someone, or if you're looking to build that implicit trust with someone, that's a much more intensive process that takes a substantially more of your time and your bandwidth and your, and your focus. And you may not be able to do, you know, in your example, you may not be able to do R squared and something else and something else and something else. If you're more intimately, intimately uh, involved, even if you are delegating. And so I think to a degree, especially for some of the people listening, I think it's, not biting off more than you can chew, but at the same time staying aggressive, and that's kind of a balancing act that everybody can can you know that needs to kind of figure it out. Because like you and I, you know, we may be able to review and, and not you know this isn't uh, you know hyperbole. You and I may be able to review three or four dozen deals at a time and have no issue with that bandwidth. Whereas someone else, that number might be like six to eight or even less. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and, to, and even like coming from from a sales perspective for a second, you know, if you're if you have like a CRM, let's say that you know you're at a company that tasks you with making a certain number of calls per day. Number one, I think we could have an entire podcast about why that model in itself is is a bad model because that to me that invites people you know skipping over things and cutting corners as opposed to trying to actually develop relationships. But if you're but if you're in the middle of Let's say that you're working in a business that has a sales cycle of months. Okay, so it's not just like a phone call and you close a deal for for a product, but it, it takes a while to put something together. Even if you're a salesperson, if you have a couple dozen of those conversations or you know a few dozen of those conversations going at once, it's a fantastic thing and maybe a fantastic problem to have. But you might not be able to actually give each of those customers the the attention that they deserve in the process, and so you're kind of hurting yourself while hurting them as well. I know I'm kind of being long-winded, but that's kind of some of the things that I think about when when approaching that in general, because I think it's important. And you, you know, you've actually—it's uh, funny, uh, you know, when I say funny, but you a number of times have brought it to my attention that there are there are things that there's just been a kind of a, maybe a breakdown of communication or expectation between you and I in terms of you know I'll put something in front of you and then ask you know a third party that has the information to provide something, and if they don't provide it, you know there's this impetus for me to continue to ping them back as opposed to my mentality is, you know, I've done my job by pinging that guy that I need, you know, that, that guy or girl that I need X, Y, or Z, you know, until they get back to me, like I, you know, the ball is not, not in my court anymore. I operate under this theory of like trying to volley the ball back. And when the ball is not in my court, a lot of times it's not on my radar anymore. And that's certainly a flaw in my process to a degree. Um, but that's just, that's how I'm most effective, but I know that you don't work that way. Yeah. That's yeah. That's all yeah. I have. Well, so uh, you you ate the whole elephant there. Um, so <laughs> you get me talking, I'm going to sit and talk. <laughs> so let, let's kind of start with the end and work back. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, one of the things that um, 
you know, on, on kind of following up and stuff. The, the follow-up usually depends on the relationship of the person that I have. So with you, I talk to you almost on a daily basis, pinging you about whether it's random stuff or business stuff. You know, there, there's no, in my mind, there's no delineation between that at this point. It's just, hey, I need to talk to Ben about whatever, you know, if it's, you know, do you see the game or, or whatever the case is. So now if that were, if you were, you know, six months ago or whatever, or a year ago when I first met you, almost you know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have handled it that way. Cause I didn't know you that well at the time, right? Um, so I think that that has to be on a relationship by relationship basis. The other thing to consider is, um, and this is the hard thing to balance, is that there are there are things that I'm working on where I'm 100 percent dependent on the other people. Right, like their balls in their court, and I literally can't do anything until they do something. I, I can't, kind of like you're saying. So you, you sit there and you go, okay, well, I need them to do something. They've expressed they want to do something. If I don't remind them about doing something, then they may think I've lost interest, or they may get so busy that they just genuinely, genuinely forgot. Now that's a harder. It's harder to know how to engage that process. Sometimes I'm too aggressive. Sometimes I'm not aggressive enough because there's been plenty of times where I've told someone I'll do something and I, and I want to do it. And I just, I just don't do it because other things I'm doing and that person doesn't, um, doesn't hit me up. And so I'm like, okay, well they're, they're not bothering me about it. So therefore I presume that they're not concerned with it. Right. So I, I project, I project what I was hoping that they're feeling to justify me not doing anything. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. if I do that, yeah. I just kind of assume other people do it. So if I can put a little, pressure and air quotes to on the person. That's kind of my way of being like, Hey, just so you know, I still care about this. This is so important to me. I know you said it's important to you reminder. And so that's kind of how I think about it because I know there's been times where I'm trying to think something specifically, but where I've said I'd do something and I didn't do it. And then I never heard from the person. I'm like, well, they hadn't said anything. So I'm going to keep letting it slide, let it slide, let it slide. Um, as long as I can, because it's not as important to me at this moment as maybe it should be or, or whatever. That's a different discussion, but it's just not, I'm just not focusing on it. And so therefore I just push it off, push it off, push it off. But that person pings me and goes, Hey, what about this? And I'm more likely to go ahead and get it done. You know, probably something I should have done. I could have done. And so that's kind of how I think about that. So I'm not sure you think about that way. Um, so I, so part of what you're seeing is me projecting how I would think about it onto other people and then presuming that they're thinking about it like I am. Or they could just genuinely, genuinely, genuinely forgotten. I'm just like, hey, you know, just because you forgot. So that's kind of my, on that last bit, that's kind of how you, I think I mean, about this stuff. You make fun of me probably on a weekly basis for forgetting X, Y, Z, or Q. I mean, that, weekly? Know, that, that weekly? I was trying to be nice. Weekly? It's like, like hourly, whatever. <laughs> We're getting closer. We're getting warmer. <laughs> um, but to your other point about... You know the the irons in the fire and stuff like that. The so part of the reason that you know the, the podcast stuff is that I said earlier to kind of give me those spaces. But you know if I started a podcast on pharmaceuticals tomorrow, um, I could start a show. I could probably get on some guests, um, not not high level guests because I'm not in that space at all. But probably get on some guests, probably work on the show and continue the show and build up the guests, but there is nothing going on in the background other than me talking about pharmaceuticals, right? So I'm not actively in the space, I'm not buying the space, I'm not selling in the space, I'm not doing anything in the space. So when the listeners engage, if they just want to engage and talk, then great, we can talk. But they actually want to, to do business or something like that, then I can't actually capitalize on anything because I have nothing to capitalize on. So when I'm looking at getting into a new, this new, this new, this new uh, the deal I'm talking about 
it's kind of a new space. Um, it is it's a capital intensive space, so I will need capital to be reinvested and reinvested and reinvested over and over and over again. That's the way the model works. Um, and so that's kind of the the the, the struggle is, is you go okay well. You know, how do you get into this space? Um, I could start a podcast tomorrow, start talking about this space, um, but and then work my way into it. I could do both at the same time, and those are the hard things to to consider because I will reach a point, depending on how fast things go, that I will need capital reinvested over and over and over again. It's just the model of the business. Um, so I can go out and do it, and then I can launch an outbound marketing campaign on LinkedIn or on on um, on the podcast world that starts talking about it, or I can kind of do both at the same time, or I can start the marketing aspect and then work into the the capital expenditure. And those are the decisions that are really hard to make from my perspective. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I uh, I, I just wanted to crystallize that again for the, for the listeners because you've said it a couple of times, but I just I love that point about. I mean, it really almost can be as simple as you know, I want to start a new business or I want to get into a new market. Okay, the answer to that is start a podcast to talk about it and get guests on the podcast. And I think through that you can almost organically, you know, create a niche for yourself and create legitimacy and viability where there may not have been any prior, you know, right? And, and so you can leverage your, you know, if you already have an, a social media outreach, that's great. But you know, for, for those that you know, I am sure there's plenty of people listening to our podcast that probably have a substantial better, you know, they're substantially better at outbound marketing than you and I combined. That's, I don't think that's the strength of either one of ours. And, and so to that end, I mean, there's probably people out there that, you know, they have a passion for X, Y, Z, and they see a business opportunity. Maybe maybe the suggestion is fire up a podcast and just start it. And, and you know, I think one of the things that you and I um, was certainly, uh, you know, that you are, are, you know, very much about the same, you know, we think about it the same way. Wow, I can't talk today. Um, you know, is just kind of launch into it and do it. I mean, the first few are going to suck and it is what it is. And, you know, they're, they're you know, if a pod, if you start a podcast and it doesn't get any reach, kill the podcast and do, you know, do something else. And, and you know, it doesn't have to be a perfectly polished, it doesn't have to be, you know, scripted or written out. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, that can be kind of off the cuff. And I think right now we're in a part and we're in a time, you know, kind of in the world uh, that, you know, that that's pretty acceptable. I mean, how many business podcasts are, are there out there? Right. I mean, there's so, so many um, that it's really just about finding your niche, finding your market, finding, finding your audience. Yeah. But and, it can be really hard. Right. And that's one, that's one question I get asked a lot about, you know, how big should your podcast be and, you know, audience size and, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I, I've kind of equated to like this in the past, if I called you and said, hey, Ben, I want you to come speak for our group over here in Granbury, which is about a four-hour drive from where you're sitting at right now, how many people would have to be there for you to get in the car on your own and go do it for free? Like, and you don't have to answer that question directly, but that's just kind of how to think about it. You know, a three, four-hour drive, that's eight-hour round trip, maybe a hotel, food, gas, and I'm not going to pay you anything, but how many people would you have to be speaking to for that to be worth it? And then obviously, obviously, you assume it's the right audience. But um, I was going to say, I mean, the, the answer could be one, depending on what the sure. connection is, right? Right, right. But that's generally, you know, you have to assume the audience is a targeted audience. And so, you know, if you're talking about starting a podcast, some, I think people get caught up in in the numbers and, and and stuff like that. And those are obviously important. But um, but then there's more of the the um, this, the fact of, you know, if you take um, if you take church, church, I think I think the average church in America is like eighty to one hundred people, something like that, or one hundred twenty people. So every Sunday, you know, pastor gets up, speaks to 100, 120 people, which is not a lot of people, not a lot of people. Um, but but that's a but if you, if you take like a conference event, um, if you go to one of these big Doug conference events, yeah, you might have how many people think sit in a, in a Doug conference presentation? 
Okay. So so three times the size of a, of a church service, right? So three four hundred. Okay. Now, if you had the Doug conferences every week, how many people would come sit there? Like a few dozen. Like a few dozen, right? So you start thinking about in those terms, like okay, well, to hold an audience of a hundred people is actually a, a, a feat of itself. It's not. It's not as easy as you think. Right? I mean, yeah, you leave me hanging there. Okay. Oh, I, no, I, 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 I thought, thought you had no, some. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm saying so. When you, yeah. you, your point about starting a podcast, I think, is, is appropriate because the other thing a podcast does, or if you're good at blogging or outbound marketing, is, is if you're not too salesy, then people get to see who they are. You know, the problem with sales is you call someone up, they know you're selling them something, they're trying to get you on the phone. The podcast kind of, they get to hear you. They get to like you or they don't like you, whatever it is. And so you've kind of worked through that process where they know, you know, I've had uh, multiple times where listeners will ask me, like, we'll go have lunch. So how's the new baby doing? I'm like, wait, how do you know about the new baby? You know, it's really <laughs> because I'm not, I'm, right. I'm, but it's like, oh, yeah, I said on the podcast a few weeks ago, or how's this going on? It's like, wait, and they know so much about me that they, because they listen to the shows and I'll talk. <clears throat> I don't talk about all my life, but I talk about you know kind of high level things that are going on, and so it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right, and so they kind of they kind of feel like they know you on a better level than, than obviously you know them because you're just he- hearing and meeting about them for the first time, so that, it gives you that kind of advantage as well. I mean, you know, th- uh, one of the things, uh, one of the other things that I'd mention is I does does Ramson Wood does he still have his podcast or he used to uh, do he used to run it? I know he used to have one. But I, I think he just started one up. I don't know though. Um, the reason I mention it is because you know, from from LinkedIn. You know, that's, I think, where a lion's share of his presence is, and obviously on Twitter as well. But, you know, if you, if you guys are following him or, or are familiar, he just, like, two months ago came out with a book. And, and you know, it's on Amazon. And I think by all, um, you know, by all accounts, it's, like, one of the best-selling oil and gas books on Amazon. And I would argue that the only reason anyone has bought it at all is because he's on LinkedIn and, and Twitter. And, that, and that, like, that is his marketing campaign. And through that, he's been able to, to – and so to your point, one of the things – and I'm – I guess I'm giving a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, but it's nothing spe- you know special, you know. But there's this model of okay, I have a LinkedIn presence and Twitter, or you know, and or Twitter. Um, okay, now I have a podcast. Okay, I'm going to turn that podcast into a book or into an ebook. And so you're you know you're kind of walking people into in through a sales cycle of value because you know if someone is looking at the Rams and Wood book, you know they don't need to like they don't need a review of the book. They they kind of get an idea of what it's going to be talking about and kind of what you know what prisons can be looked at through because David has the, you know, the, the exposure elsewhere. And so to your point, you know, if you ever were to put out a book series or, or something of that nature, you know, you would immediately have a massive following because of the, all the preload work and all the things that people kind of come with that precognition that they know who Ryan Ray is. They, you know, they know what kind of you know, network he has and that, you know, it, it's going to be all kind of tailored as opposed to, you know, if you didn't have a LinkedIn account at all and didn't have these podcasts and you just came out with a book. Okay. So, you know, it and, changes the conversation. Yeah, another thing I would say, I'm curious, maybe we should try to get him on, Nate, Dave Ramsey Wood, but I, I'm curious, and maybe he'll want to talk about this, maybe he wouldn't. I would imagine the money that he's going to make off the book sales is probably not what he's going for. It's probably not, maybe he's going to make a bunch of money off the book. I hope he does. I don't wish him ill will, but it's it's the fact, and, and a lot of the podcasts and outbound marketing stuff today is about how to monetize that, and to me, that's the wrong way to look at it. You're, you're trying, if you're trying to monetize the outbound marketing um, by putting ads in your newsletter, and there's nothing wrong with that stuff, but the, the real value is, is when you're not really selling anything over and over again and people get to talk with you and deal with you and interact with you, that's when you can, you, to your point about making the sales call, 
and build a relationship. That's where you can build a relationship at is if you're not constantly trying to pitch and sell and, and all this stuff. You just, you just, hey, let's go and meet and talk and hang out. And so I, I don't know. I don't speak for him. I'm curious, though, how much of the book from his perspective is um, he's going to catch a check versus how much of it is it just kind of connects with his listeners one different step. Gives you, I think it's more of kind of his personal story from what I understand. And so kind of a I would, yeah, I'd imagine it's very much the second one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, you and I have talked about it. I mean, you know, you can you can write a book and it can be successful, but you're you know you're not going to become you know a millionaire over over writing a book in the oil and gas space, right? Yeah, I, I've got leverage. one. I've got one out. It was a bestseller. Did not become a millionaire. I can tell you, like like thousandaire, maybe or at least. Uh, he, yeah, I think I made the thousandaire. One comma, one <laughs> comma. I think I got one comma. <laughs> <laughs> not three, it's not, not three comma deal. It's a one comma deal. So I think no, I got have we one. even talked about on the podcast that you know the, the, the three comma deal. Have we have we discussed mm-mm, this? Mm-mm, no? mm-mm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. I was just I was just surprised with someone that has been as successful as you. It took you like four or five minutes to wrap your head around that billion dollars for three commas. But we don't. Have my my, my standard fee is ten million. I don't think in billions. So that's just I just don't, I don't dream big enough. You I guess. Step it up. You need to step up the thinking. I mean. So so Ben, back to my question that you never answered. Getting ready to launch this new business, capital intensive business. I will need uh, repeat investors over and over again. As someone who's had a lot of businesses that have failed, what advice would you give me? <laughs> um, I mean, it's it sounds like generic advice, and it certainly you you certainly didn't lead me into this answer. But the the answer is have the bandwidth and ability, and, and allow yourself to fail. Because I I would argue that every even successful business doesn't start off as a success. You have to have the the ability and the and the wherewithal to kind of navigate around the pitfalls. Um, there, there's no secret sauce, right? I mean, every business is different. Every business requires different things, um, and so you know, it, it really depends. I know it's a bad answer, but so, you know, there, let, there's let, no. Yeah, let me ask this. Then. Let me ask this. Then. Okay. So this business does not have a new model. It's not nothing flashy. It's nothing. You know, it's a tried and true methodology. How many times? Uh, what I need to redo, and you know a little bit more of the business what, when it kind of goes, we can talk about it on the show, but how many times would you need to repeat a process, uh, a new startup, repeat a process before Ben Samuels goes, you know what, I'm going to invest in these guys. Obviously, the model's cut and dry. You've seen the model a thousand times, million books and podcasts talk about the model, but it's actually up to the, the management team to execute the deal. So how many times do you think, or how long do you think, is it is it, is it, a, is it a length? Is it a... Is it a repeatable process, like they need to do the process three, four, five, ten times. How do you evaluate that before you feel like, you know, if you were going to start it, A, before you could go out for capital, or B, before you would invest your own capital? And those are fundamentally different feelings, obviously, investing your own capital versus asking for capital. So I answer from both perspectives. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're asking me personally, I think that I have a much, much stronger appetite for risk than most. And so if someone puts a proposal in front of me and, and I, you know, if so if you were to call me and say, "Hey, I'm starting XYZ business. I'm, I'm selling shares or I'm selling equity. You know, are you interested?" I would likely have very few questions, and and you know, we would come up with a number and a percentage, and, and I'd cut you a check. As opposed to you know, if someone on LinkedIn you know solicits me you know blind and says, "Hey, I'm working on XYZ. You know, do you have interest?" You know, if it's a, if it's a, something I'm interested in, sure, I'd, be, I'd love to have a conversation, but I'm going to have a lot more questions and it's going to be a significant, you know, it's going to be a lot more due diligence and, and I'm really going to have to, to vet not only the idea, but the team and, and the model, um, you know, in those instances, I would probably at least propose that I have some sort of 
you know, board seat or, or some sort of uh, say rather than just a quiet investment. Whereas, you know, for, uh, for someone like yourself, you know, if you were to ask me, I, I you know, depending on what the proposal was, I probably wouldn't ask for any any oversight because I because I trust your process and I know that you're going to be making the right decisions and, and that's the, that's the dynamic that you and I have. And so, wait, hold on, Nate, are we recording? Is this being recorded? So I've got Ben to agree to give me capital right now. That's I haven't asked him, but when I do, he's committed without any oversight or board seats. Just go go ahead, sir. Go ahead, go ahead. You, you, I'll, I'll sign I'll sign off on that as well. Um, you know, that being said, you know, if I'm looking, so if I'm looking to start a business or if I'm looking to start something that I'm going to be soliciting capital for, that's a much, much, much higher threshold for me. Number one, you know, it needs to be, so that would need to be the right project with the right people in the right market for a number of different reasons. And I, what I mean by that is, you know, you and I have talked about, you're not, even though you, you you own a company that's very successful and you have a robust business, you know, I wouldn't, I would never qualify you or someone were to ask me like, you know, is Ryan Ray a company man? That's not how I see you at all. You're, you're not a company man. You're, you're, you're an entrepreneur that happens to have a, a standalone business that is wildly successful. But the reason I say it that way is because if I'm looking to, to raise capital for something else, you know, that's, that's something that I'm going to have fiduciary duty over, and so I need to know that I can, you know, that I can actually provide value to the day-to-day operation, as opposed to just kind of putting the deal together or being being an investor, right? I mean, you know, I'm happy to infuse capital into projects, and you know, I, I, there are projects that I infuse capital into that, that don't work, and, and I have a healthier appetite, like I said, for for that than most. Uh, but yeah, if you're asking me like how to to go about raising capital. You know, I'm not necessarily a big proponent of proof of concept, and I know I'm kind of being long-winded. I'll try to wrap this up just really quickly. One of the things I think we talked about it last week. But one of the things that I ran into when trying to get into the energy business, uh, it's a, it's a different example, but it's it's the same. You know, I had a resume that had a lot of sales experience and a lot of good quality business experience, but had no oil and gas experience whatsoever. And I'm trying to break into the oil and gas space, and I have a professional land and resource management degree to back up my business. Uh, you know, uh, business acumen or whatever, you know, what you want to call it. Um, but I still was not able to even get interviews at these in-house, you know, major firms because they were looking for someone that wanted an entry-level position, but had two or three years of experience. And I didn't have that. Right. And so I went, I went independent. And what I, uh, the reason I say that is because that kind of concept happens over and over again. There's so many technology firms out here in the oil and gas space that I would advocate have technology that if they could get proof of concept, if they could get an operator to buy into what they're doing and throw them, a couple few million dollars, you know, the oil and gas company would make, you know, a phenomenal ROI and the company would actually have the proof of concept to put their technology out in the field and deploy it. Um, you know, but there seems to be that bottleneck. And the reason I say all of that to say is because I see that so often, that's something that I actively navigate around. And so, you know, I, I try to make sure that, that that's not a, so if I'm, if I'm interviewing somebody for a position, uh, you know, for, for a job, you know, the qualifications in terms of like where their degree came from or what their historical, I don't care. You know, if, if they can sit in front of me and prove to me that they're going to, they can execute on what they're supposed to execute on when they start the job, that's really all that matters. And so, and so I think it's just kind of a different way of looking at it in, in terms of, you know, if I'm betting an idea, it's not necessarily how many times have they done it before. If I'm betting a team, it's not necessarily, you know, what the track record is, is it's, you know, what's the business model? Does, does it work? Am I interested in, you know, in it? And do I see the same kind of long-term vision? And the last thing I'll say is just real quickly about the long-term vision. Um, and we can talk about this at length, but in general, there's two models for long-term vision for companies that are generally in a startup phase. There's either we want to cash flow this for years and this is going to be a sustainable business. This is going to be fantastic and we're going to build this and, and have a company for, for decades. The second is 
We're going to raise some capital because we see an opportunity in the market. We're going to we're going to blow and go as hard as we possibly can for the next three to five to seven years. And our target is to sell. And a lot of times, I find that companies don't necessarily have clarity on which one of those two buckets they're even trying to accomplish. And that, to me, is somewhat of a red flag in the sense that if you're walking into a startup and you don't have clarity, at least on kind of what option A for your exit is, that's that's a problem, right? Because you need to, I mean, that because your exit strategy is going to dictate your day-to-day strategy. Because if you're trying to take an exit in three to five to seven years, you're going to do things from day one differently than if you're trying to build a business that's sustainable for decades. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, it, it, it's just it's just a new new space to you know looking at raising capital and kind of how that goes. It's not talking about millions of dollars or nothing like that. It's actually a, a pretty low low threshold. But um, I, I guess there's the responsibility of taking someone's money and making sure you you can um, you can do something with it. I I don't have the concern that I can do something with it, but there's a concern that when, once you get it, that you you're going to do something with it. Like does that make sense? It's like I'm not worried about it, but I'm worried about it in the sense of I want to make sure yeah. that I'm doing it the right way. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think to a degree, unfortunately, in, in the energy space, there's this mentality and this appetite for, you know, I'm going to raise capital. And you know what? The project may work. It may not. That's not on me. Like, you know, if it mm-hmm. works great, if it doesn't, like, you know, I raised some capital and those guys knew they knew the risks and, and they signed up for it. Right. And it is what it is. When I'm looking at something, you know, I bring, you know, if, if I'm going to raise capital for something, I'm going to give the investment group an incredible amount of clarity on, you know, okay, so here's what we're looking at. Obviously, there's baked in risk to every single sure. deal, right? That you, you can never ha- de-risk a deal totally. But my job in that dynamic, the way I see it, is to mitigate and reduce any possible risk as much as possible that I possibly can in any way I, I can, rather than, yeah, there, there's risk here and it may blow up and may not, you know, who, right. who knows? Um, and I think that that, you know, that dynamic is different. I mean, you don't really see that in the energy space. I mean, you know, all these wildcatters, you know, I say all these wildcatters as a, as a big umbrella, but there's a number of, you know, and unfortunately, there's a number of guys on LinkedIn that promote these, well, you know, these oil and gas drilling deals, right? And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, if you're, pl- if you're paying attention or if you know people that have invested in the past, a lion's share of them are, are not, you know, are not successful. And the problem with that is that, you know, if they continue to just do that and do that and do that, they get to take the, you know, the ownership fee and they get to take, you know, uh, what they, but they have no, like, okay, so if the product doesn't work and I don't get to return an ROI to my investors, mm-hmm. that's on those guys. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I don't see that that way because I would have a hard time. You know, if I, if I put you know, half a dozen deals in front of you that you invested in and they all came up duds, I personally would have a hard time sitting back in front of you and number one, asking for a seventh investment, but just in general, like that would be awkward. Right. And that, that would be like, it would be something that I would be thinking about. Right. Okay, Ben, I know we got to wrap it up. We're up, up at the clock. Nape is a week from Wednesday. I know you will have a booth there for folks who might not catch the episode before Nape, um, next week's episode before Nape. Why don't you tell them where your booth will be at and so they can go by and see you if they're at Nape. Yeah, if you're at Nape, I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to get some time either on the floor or not. We'll be at booth 2452-2452 with Source Rock Midstream. Going to be announcing a major acquisition that we just uh, took down just not too long ago and, and talking about a couple of other uh, programs. Would love to, uh, to talk to you guys and, and meet some new faces. So if you've, if you've listened to the podcast but haven't gotten a chance to to meet to, uh, you know, meet me yet or, or say hi, I'd love to, to get some, some time. So uh, feel free to swim by. And we're... Uh, we haven't decided what, but we're going to be giving something away. Um, a couple years ago, we gave away some Bitcoin. Last year, we gave away 
something else. I'm blanking on what it was. I think it was actually more Bitcoin. I forget now, but we'll, we'll be giving something away at the conference. And so, how about a free dinner with Ryan? Like you pay for me and a listener go to dinner with Ryan. Like that. That's. I'd rather just have Bitcoin. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody if anybody wants to subject wants to subject themselves to going to Ryan uh, to a dinner with Ryan and Ben then yeah I'll, I'll no I didn't say, I didn't say Ben I said with Ryan oh so if anybody wants to uh, see Ryan and not me I'm happy to bankroll Ryan's dinner yes. oh yeah we will make sure we run that tab up and we will pay for it with uh, all that Bitcoin money you have Ben it was good to talk to you and listeners I will be in Nape I don't know if I will be on the floor or not I hadn't decided about being town so if you're down there shoot me a DM on LinkedIn. Ben, it was good to talk to you and we'll talk to listeners next week. Are paper invoices and payments dragging you back to the office? Automate with Avid Exchange and enjoy 100% digital accounts payable. With 24-7 access and secure e-payment options, you can easily review, approve, and pay your bills anytime, anywhere, from any device. So say goodbye to all that paperwork and hello to the ease and flexibility of automated accounts payable. Learn more at avidexchange.com. That's avidexchange.com. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete! Bad news. Uh, What happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. (laughs) Uh, Okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection.